Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I get to introduce you to amazing individuals, their stories, their mistakes, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, almost a decade ago, I had an opportunity to be introduced to a woman who I would eventually call not only coach and mentor, but today friend and someone that I deeply and dearly look up to. Her name is Edie Varley. She is a coach. She is a mentor. She is a speaker. She's on fire. And she is with us in studio live with us today. Edie Varley, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John O'Leary, thank you for this invitation to be part of this fabulous community of people who love you, respect you, and are inspired by you and your life. Well, they are inspired. There's no doubt about it. And and what we know in this room is everybody's got a story. And it's just usually not the story we're telling the world. So Edie Varley, for those who may not yet know your story, tell us a little bit more about you. I'm 66 and celebrating, <laughs> baby. That's life. Um, I love my life. I'm blessed. And people say, oh, Edie, yeah, yeah, you're blessed. But I take it off for him. I've got my faith. I've got my health. I've got work that's meaningful. I have people I love, and I live in America. Hmm. I'm blessed. Yeah, you are. You are, and not only are you. I think we all are. Anyone with ears to hear this podcast is fairly blessed. Um, but Edie, you actually act like it, and you act like it all the time. You are lit up every time I'm with you. And when I leave your presence, I leave a better man than the guy that I entered into the relationship, into the conversation with. It's that energy and enthusiasm for life that I'm excited to share with our followers, our friends, our listeners today. Let's back the train way up, though. You weren't always uh, a leader down at Washington University in St. Louis. You weren't always a coach. You weren't always a speaker. You weren't always, I would imagine, lit up with life. Tell me about growing up as a kid. Where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Louis. Okay. I'm one of 14 children, born to June and Jim Varley. My mother had seven miscarriages on top of that. They really understood love as a verb, and I saw that love in action every day. And um, I wanted to be a priest. And in first grade at Our Lady of Lourdes, the padre came in with the sister Letta Claire and said, who wants to be a priest? And I raised my hand and goes, oh, Edie, you can't because you're a girl. Who wants to be a girl after that? When that was my vocation, Mm -hmm. I thought there was nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit transforming that bread and that wine into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my mother, very wise, knew it was a punch in the gut. Mm -hmm. And she said, Edie, it's more difficult to live in the world. You can be an apostle. Hmm. Her wisdom had to have been inspired. 
So as time marches on and more and more times women can do more things, I didn't hate being a woman anymore. In fact, I love it. Mm -hmm. And um, what I always wasn't or always was, I've always been very high on life. Always. In grade school at Our Lady of Lourdes, it was appreciated. I got to high school and they wanted to put a muscle on it. As I got to college and um, that frontier of being the first time away from home, your metal is tested. Yeah. You know, all of the things you were indoctrinated to believe started to come to fruition or not. And all the experimentation in the world occurs. Um, I've had a phenomenal career. Two years at McDonnell Douglas before it became Boeing. 25 years in manufacturing of industrial chemicals for cleaning and sanitation. There was something powerful about that work, and I don't regret a moment of it. I learned a lot about myself, a lot about other people, and the work that I get to do now is probably my, my mm. truest calling. I feel so blessed to have had a second chance. Yeah. Well, you're living it beautifully. And before we get to that second chance, what you're doing today and what it means for us, your mother sounds remarkable. I mean, Edie, I have four, and um, sometimes it's overwhelming. 14, seven miscarriages, a husband, life, travel, carpool. Even for her to take the time to realize that you were broken that day as a little girl, to tell me about your mom. What was she like as a little girl as you're looking up to this gal? She was stealth. She had a heart as big as the world. She knew who she was and where she was going. Her vocation was to be a wife and a mother. She managed a household of 16. Beautiful. Inside and out. Great sense of humor. Loved my father with a passion. And he, her, 50 years of marriage. She died at 67, 21 years ago. Far too early. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have carpool back then. We walked to school or rode our bikes. There wasn't any of this helicopter stuff. The groceries came. The, the milk came. I mean, she was homebound, if you will, if, yes. you, if you go back. And, um, you know, we all had our chores. She was very organized. Um, she loved to have fun. She loved her family. And there were parties. Kind of, if I think about anything at Varleyville, parties, 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 and more parties. We celebrated life. And, of course, we are what we celebrate. What are you all celebrating? That's awesome. So Varleyville is busy. It takes, uh, it takes uh, a strong mayor to lead the village, though. You have your mother, and she's not alone. Tell me about your dad. I, I knew your dad a bit. He was dynamic and lit up. But I, I knew him from the outside. Edie, you had a, a real understanding of your father. Talk about your dad. Best daddy any little girl could have had, but to work for him, whoo! <laughs> that was a tough job, without a doubt. And... Um, to be fair, you know, you're expecting one thing as a little girl, then you start to work for them. It's an entirely different mm -hmm. adventure. Great learning curve, tremendous learning curve. And what you discover is love people, pimples and dimples. And when you love yourself, you know, you're not rejecting yourself. You love yourself. You are able to love people in the season they're in, pimples and dimples. So you accept no responsibility for the choices they make. Hmm. You love them in the season they're in, and that's a sense of freedom. So 
My father loved me pimples and dimples. I loved him pimples and dimples. They were a great unit together. My father actually lived nine years after my mother died, and everybody expected him to be yes. tanking and dead dead within a year. But nine years, he got into his fighting weight, went from about 350 pounds to 190. He actually dated. That was scary. I mean, you know. Yeah, we're not unpacking that on the no, show. No, 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 but it was, it was madness and a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed my father. I loved him. Um, I miss both of my parents every day. And so the missing never ends, but you mourn the loss yeah. and you celebrate the lives. And I have all these brothers and sisters and we still party on. Where, where were you in the mix? Fourth oldest. Vicki, Jamie, Clinton, Edie, Bradford, Holly, Guy, Joy, Potter, June, Monica, Clayton, Whitaker, Jason. Boom. <laughs> right. Drop the mic on that one. That was, that was impressive. I think we could all say you were successful in that. And your mom and dad were successful in, in uh, their endeavors, clearly. Yeah. Edie, what did you learn uh, most about life as you saw your mom and dad loving each other, loving their 14, loving life? What, what was something, that, a real takeaway lesson that you learned from them? Can you imagine a household of 14 different personalities? At a minimum, what we all learned, I believe, was you were to be at your best. Life asks of each of us a contribution, and we were to be at our best. It didn't mean we were the best, but it meant we were to be at our best. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep practicing at your best, your best keeps getting better. I was primarily a B student, B minus, maybe a C, uh, my older brother and sister were A's. <laughs> and my dad sort of said, hey, are you doing your best? Are you trying your hardest? I said, yeah, I love school, Dad. And um, he says, well, if you're trying your best, he said, that's good enough for me. He says, you'll never have to apologize when you're at your best, ever. He said, that means you've prepared, you've planned, and you executed. He said, now, Vicki and Jamie don't look like they're having all that fun that you are. Yeah. So... I, I took those lessons, but I think we all did. Again, what's it all about? Live up to the fullness of your promise. If I were going to say one thing to our li yes. listening audience, it would be live up to the fullness of your promise. Edie, have you been living up to the fullness of your promise throughout your whole life? Was there a turning point at some point where you realized, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm dogging it. I'm not fully – I'm not really mainlining life. I would say no. It was a charge you know, it was a mandate in our own family. You're alive and well. Get up and get after it. And so, no, and I've had the discipline to do it. I may not have been able to express it as I can now at 66 in the making. But all along, I knew. School. Be at your best. You know, do the chores. Be at your best. Was I perfect? No. H, no. <laughs> no. By any means, because life's an experiment. Most people grow up with success or failure. In our family, it was clear, experiment. We'd break a leg of a piece of furniture. Dad said, well, hell, you haven't broken the other three legs. You know, get it. You know, it's only a thing. We were back down to things are replaceable. Human beings are cherished, treasured. Care for them. Tell me about the relationship between 13 siblings. Exciting. Why? I was on the older set of it, and I loved them as if they were my own children. We had a ball. Campers this way, 
you know, let's do the dishes. We didn't have a dishwasher till I was a senior in high school. So Why we would you? In, you had an army of dishwashers should, in the well, kitchen. Yeah, but to get them, marshal that energy, channel those resources, baby. How we did, lived how, in a commune before communes were cool. <laughs> well, they're back in. How, how did you or your siblings or your mom and dad channel that energy? How, honestly, how do you get those kids marching to the right beat in the right direction? Respect. We had absolute, profound respect for our parents. We did not want to disappoint them. And my mother made it very clear. I think I was in fifth grade, gathered us all in the kitchen and said, listen up. God is number one. Your father is number two. You are number three. And you wouldn't be here without your father. So there will be no dividing us in our decisions in parenting you all. But get this straight. Long after you're gone, it's your father and me. So hmm. let's start adhering to the rules of the house for everybody's safety. And let's respect one another. And, of course, we had lively discussions. Nobody wanted to leave the dinner table. We were rocking. We partied. I, I just, there was a sense of celebration. Hmm. We called it Varleyville, for goodness sake. And my, my friends and the friends of the neighborhood wanted to be at our house because our parents were so much fun. So they celebrated each other, and the manifestation of their love was all of us. And were there difficult times? You bet. <laughs> a lot of crucible events, John. You want to share one? I can. Yeah. I mean, t t take us through an experience that you, as a family, experience got knocked down, and then together, this family, based on love, comes back together and rises above. <laughs> rises above. Good right. line. My brother, Jamie, who I adored, uh, we were best friends. He took his life at the age of 28. He had a little girl, hmm. Lark, and he, his, his dear bride, my friend, Laurie, uh, had just given birth to their first son, his namesake. In fact, Jamie the third just turned 40 years of age. And the silent scream of suicide is alive and well. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, people say, you get angry or you do this. I never did. I never was angry about that. I thought God has a plan. And I don't know that plan. But I loved my sister-in-law. I love her children. I love my brother. I miss him every day. And I don't have the answer as to why, because that's something I think that plagues a lot of people. It had a huge impact on our family, I cannot tell you. First of all, my mother lost four boys. I've lost four boys, my brothers, yes. three in my lifetime and one in my arms. But one of the most significant losses was Jamie. Um, I was 25. He was 28. And I can tell you, when I see his friends, we, there's, a, there's a bonding there. I think it broke my parents' heart. But in 1986 or 7, when my parents were in the downsizing mood and we were moving out of Varleyville, my mother 
at Thanksgiving gathered us all together, and we were to all speak about hmm. what for what we were grateful. And she said, your father and I have loved each other all these years. We have made four deposits because you children have always been on loan. You were God's gift to us, but we didn't own you. And as your father and I begin a new chapter in our lives, we wanted this Thanksgiving to be so special, a time for us to be grateful. Hmm. So I've known you for 10 years well and uh, of you for my entire life, Edie. I've never heard the extent of that story. I knew you lost a brother to suicide. I appreciate you sharing that with me and our friends listening right now in their cars and buses and poolside and with coffees and glasses of wine in front of them. Thank you. When your brother takes his life, and I think mental illness and depression and anxiety and these things that usually go unsaid and unheard frequently, did you know that this was part of his story? Did you see this coming now looking back on it? I saw it coming before then because my best friend, Katie Stith's husband in March had taken his life. And the preamble to that looked so like what I was witnessing. <clears throat> and my brother even said, I, I feel like killing myself. But that wasn't how people saw him. Mm-hmm. He was full of life. He had the world by tail, in love with his bride. He just had had his second-born child. I mean, this was un- – they couldn't comprehend it. And so – he was telling people, I'm in pain. Whether it was depression, anxiety, people were diagnosing from the curb. And it happened. But I believe that happens today. Why? We are a busy people. We wear it as a badge of honor. And in fact, busy doesn't mean we're productive. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It isn't the things to do list that is most important in this same 24 hours we all have, it's the list of commitments that you actually honor. Period, end of story. But when you don't know where you're going, when you don't know who you are, when you're not clear, and in the complexity of today, Mm -hmm. we've got to get clarity out of the complexity. We've got to take the uncertainty and create an understanding that you can communicate first to yourself. And then your model is an example for others. It's an anchor form. There's a lot of volatility out here, but we have to be the value proposition. <laughs> it's always the one and the one and the one, just like we're conversing here. It's you and me. Others are listening, but we're engaged in a conversation heart to heart. I mean, I'm, I am <clears throat> vulnerable here. As and, always. And, and pleased to share it. Yeah. It's a truth that I carry with me 40 years in the making. Edie, you... Uh... Out of all of the leaders I've ever met and all the business owners and spouses and nurses and teachers and principals and inmates, retirees, you name it, uh, no one listens better than you. you. You almost lean forward when people speak. You look directly into their eyes and deeper than that. You really take notice. As someone who truly does pay attention to those around them, do you find yourself now with raised antennas toward others who are crying either loudly or quietly, quietly for help with anxiety or depression or they're struggling? Are you even more hypersensitive to this now than you were 40 years ago? 
I think I've always had an interior ear listening for the unfamiliar because in a household of 16, it's very difficult to feel heard. Mm -hmm. And I believe the root of all conflict is unmet expectation. Rarely do we even take the time to write down or express our own expectations in relationships, in life, in episodes in our lives that occur. And rarely do we ask someone else, hey, what do you expect in this relationship? And allow them to give expression to it so you can hear it and say, yes, I can do this, this, and this. And no, I don't expect this and that. You know, you've got a burr under your saddle. So, again, I was on the older four, <laughs> and you've got all these little people, little spirits, and I thought I knew when I was heard by my parents how good it felt just to be heard, even if it was <laughs> 10 seconds. And often we think we don't have time to listen with a whole heart, to listen intently for the unfamiliar, because you are listening, watching the body language, intent on understanding somebody else's point of view without fear that somehow you're going to be lost. In fact, what's so horrible about your mind being changed? The days of civility in many quarters has gone, and it's we fear listening to somebody else very often. Yeah. Or we're assigning it a different thing. I don't want to get into that, but you asked that or question. Or body slamming it away from us, literally. I mean, that's yeah. the story going on in the news these days. Yeah. Uh, Edie, you, you're unpacking some huge topics that we could spend more than an hour on. One of them that I just heard is listening with your whole heart. Help. Busy dads, that's me, busy moms, busy aunts and uncles and business owners and sojourners in life, understand what that means and then help us better actually step into it. How do we listen with our whole heart? First of all, what does it mean? And then secondly, how, how can we do it? I think I'm able to listen with a whole heart because I love myself. God made me the way I am. And I have an assignment on this earth. And once I started loving myself, I could love people right where they are, which meant I didn't have to do all the talking. I didn't have to be heard. I could literally just be there. What happens to us in this busy life is all these electronic devices the tunes on the radio, the TV. I go to some people's homes. They've got multiple computers. They've got a TV in every room, even in the bathroom, and a phone. They're wired. And those end up being distractions because there's so much noise out there anyway. So if I were going to offer a prescription, if you will, it's quiet. Mm. Listen. We, we ask questions to start having a conversation, but often that can be construed as an interrogation because we're asking them so fast, like we're checking them off the box. I did this, I did this. Did you, where, where'd you go? Who'd you do? What, 
instead of what was the best thing that happened to you today and focus on the good. Why? Bad news is free. It travels fast. It's on everybody's lips. We, as leaders of ourselves, are charged to look for the good and report it repeatedly <laughs> because repetition is the father of knowledge. Look for the good. So instead of saying, you know, something else, negative, humorous ridicule, no. What was the best thing that happened to you, Day? And pause, hold. Where are you going in a hurry when it comes to your own family members or even a friend? When they get into the car, you have a language that says, I want to pick my children up. Not I have to. Yes. There's no energy in have to. So I want to pick my children up. And with that, I want to create a safe environment for them to be themselves. Turn off the radio, get off the phone, and listen. It'll do wonders for the person listening because they unpack a lot when they feel safe. And you don't often even have to ask a question. Ask them to turn off their devices. We are a community. We require being in community. We're hardwired that way. So maybe you don't feel heard. And so you're doing a lot of talking to get noticed and get the attention. So start with listening to yourself first. Doing something good for yourself. Because I've said this before. You wouldn't allow your child to get five hours of sleep, be a junk food junkie, read stuff that doesn't inspire them, and be in the company of people who think ridicule is humorous. Hmm. You wouldn't do it to your child, but you do it to yourself constantly. You know, your dance card is full from five in the morning till midnight. The idea is, wait a minute here. Start treating the child in you, the adult, with respect and regard so that you are high-fueled with octane to perform. And life is a bunch of performance choices. You mentioned earlier in this conversation what is coming to my mind is we are always making choices. How we're going to leave somebody that we've just had an engagement with. Am I going to leave you more committed, more productive, more energized after an engagement with me? And am I going to leave you full of ill will, resistance, and maybe a spirit broken in too? We're always making those choices. We do that in our families because we're busy. And I'm not sure what metric we're using for success in relationships today. What is the metric for a parent and a child's relationship? Mm. How are we measuring the depth, the breadth? Uh, how about we frame it up then? How should we measure that, Edie? How should we measure partners and spouses' relationship? What is the metric for that? And what is the metric for a father and a child or a mother and a child or an auntie or a teacher and a student or a nurse and a patient? If you could coach us up around these ideas, in addition to being aware of it, what do you think we can do to expand it and be sure that we're tracking the right stuff? Love is the cornerstone. You got to love yourself and love others. Love is a verb. It's what we do for others. And that's what then leads to the emotion. But you've got to have a knowing. If you've given life <clears throat> and breath to a child, they're part of you. 
And there's a divine quality within both of you. I don't think there's anything magical about how do you measure the warmth in a relationship, the bench strength in the relationship to overcome the disappointments, the missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. At its root, we are always given those opportunities, and sometimes they fly out the window like a little bird. Oh, <laughs> the canary just left the building. Call it back. Or fell over. Yeah, yeah. You're exhausted. Describe, well, what's the root of that exhaustion? Is it mental? Is it emotional? Are you trying to be perfect? There ain't nobody on this earth that's perfect. What, that's you, what, the journey. Why is it, do you think, not only are we all striving for that perfection, but that there is this intense undertone of discontent these days between political parties, in relationships, at work? No one really likes their job. What's the trigger and the, and the foundation of this huge amount of discontent and negativity? What's at its root is the question, or is it a recognition there is a lot of discontent out there? I think it's both. Okay. Well, but I think without a doubt, I think most of us driving, riding the bus, sitting poolside, recognize that our life is chaotic and out of control, and we are sprinting, 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 and we can't quite catch up. Well, I think it, again, you reduced to the common denominator. Who are you? That was Socrates' injunction, know thyself. Where are you going in such a hurry? And you've said this many times, and it's very popular. Why? Are you living on purpose? Is your measurement your neighbor? Is there some social mirror by which you think, I've arrived? The fact of the matter is, reflection is a leadership competency, and we don't engage it today because busy is so popular. But take a pause. Reflect deeply on the performance choices you've made to this moment in time. And then make another performance choice. If you don't like the life you've chosen and are living, do the hardest thing in the world and change. Right on. You, you uh, Edie, I consider you an expert in many aspects of life, including emotional intelligence. For the folks tuning in right now who may not know what that term is at all, give us a, 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 a snapshot of what emotional intelligence is and why it matters. There's still no dictionary definition in Webster's for emotional intelligence. I will offer a research base definition, but to cut to the chase, emotional intelligence is being intelligent about your emotions. We all have an emotional portfolio, and often we don't know the difference between disappointment and anger hmm. and the degree of that. So when I look at being intelligent about your emotions, it returns to these performance choices we make in relationships. Are we choosing to respond to people and events, circumstances, the who and the what, in ways that enhance our personal effectiveness and are constructive in 
those relationships with others. And we can choose to react to other people, places, and circumstances in ways that are self-destructive and counterproductive. And so as you start to look at the results you're getting in your own life, it's your opportunity again to pause and reflect and say, how am I going to achieve different results? And that's where the smart skills of emotional intelligence come into play because you, you have to create new neural pathways of behavior because you think in advance, what do I want that relationship to look like at the end of an engagement with me? For instance, if you hear a fire alarm go off in this building, we don't have to think twice. We will be on autopilot to get to the nearest exit safely. We don't think deeply about the who and the what seem to create in us behaviors we're not proud of. And we don't take the time to play it over. In golf, you have a bad shot, you play it again mentally, emotionally, and physically. So it's an opportunity for all people. If you choose to develop the smart skills of emotional intelligence, you are in effect saying, I'm in charge, I'm taking charge. And there is no peace, freedom, and joy like it hmm. because you're no longer a pawn on everybody else's game board. So right now we have folks sitting back saying, hey, I love what you're saying, Varley, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know my neighbor. You have never met my coworker. You, you, you don't know the barista that I bumped into today or the guy who hit me on the way out of, of the, the, the Starbucks. For those folks who are listening to what you're saying right now about owning their life with arms crossed, what's your response to them? Well, if their arms are crossed, they're resistance to this message. So I'd say put them by your side and open up and look in the mirror first. What is your behavior looking like? What are your words? Words create worlds. So think about if they were your wardrobe. What does your wardrobe look like with the kinds of words you use to your loved ones, to your coworker, to yourself? Mm. Here's what I find. It's not what we are that holds us back. It's what we think we're not. And the amount of self-talk that denies us our dignity in life, that denies all of the evidence to support we have achieved significant um, milestones, we're still discounting. I can't tell you how many CEOs, senior executives I talk to who are still discounting themselves and never celebrating their own successes, which means they're likely not celebrating anybody else's. So if you're in charge, your charge is not for you to be the lone voice. Your charge is to harness the collective genius of the people around you to get where you're going with and through them. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate community. Enter. So by your model, you've heard about, well, leading from behind or stepping aside. The fact is, being a leader is not easy. Being a leader of yourself first is the first mark. And where does that start? Being courageous. If we do not have a dignity of voice, if we're not able to lead upward to those in authority, our neighbor, our own children, our parents, the unpleasable parents, the unpleasable boss, then your character 
your competence and your care never show up. We first must be courageous. So that means looking in the mirror first and saying, what can I think, say, or do differently that by my model attracts people because I'm loving and lovable? (laughs) Start from within. You don't have to do a lot of talking if from within you know the peace, the freedom, and the joy of owning the performance choices you make and then practicing, practicing, practicing for new outcomes. We all want to be heard so bad, we keep talking. We're not listening. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't. Right, and where's that finger? It's pointing out at somebody else. Everybody else is at a misstep. Take a moment. There's three fingers coming right back at you. Pause a moment. Reflect deeply. What do you want to be different? When, AD, when do you find time to intentionally reflect? Do you have a process for it? Do you have a set amount of time or a space, a place, a technique that you use? Continual is a starting point. Let, let, I'll unpack it for you. I'm so blessed. I love to swim, and I swim at 5 in the morning. And I'm able to pray and think deeply about the people in my own, my life that I love. If there's an issue, a challenge, start to work through it. Swimming's a solitary sport, if you will. Uh, I happen to go to Mass daily because I believe I need the power of Jesus in my life. And I believe that host is consecrated and sacred. And it's my armor to go out and try to be a light in the world, to be a safe harbor for other people. And it's a continuous practice because I ain't perfect. And it's moment-to-moment opportunities to be loving and learn how to love in a divine quality, pimples and dimples. Then I've turned off the radio. I make CDs with great tunes. I've turned them off so that when I'm in the car, I have an opportunity to reflect and meditate and allow the noise everybody else is in tune with not to impact my efforts, my living on purpose, the purpose for which I'm living daily, moment to moment. Simple. I don't have a guarantee of another breath, and nobody listening does either. So you're choosing. I used to try and get 28 hours out of 24, and by golly, I did it, I'm sure. But at what cost? And where are we going in a hurry? Being present is the greatest effort Any of us can apply, especially when it comes to other people. So I'm hoping you're saying, how do I make time? It's a continuum in my mind. I'm thinking constantly, um, okay, um, what am I called to do here? How can I put the love on in this situation? Uh, Maybe I'm an observer, a bystander. and, and mostly under the radar. You know, I want to be an individual that attracts by my model that I'm not promoting by my words. I think you are becoming exactly what you'd hoped. Thank you. It, it's, we give the glory to God, and it's a practice. It's a constant practice, being mindful constantly. And we're going to switch gears a little bit and roll you now from 
the part where you and I kind of create a little bit of jazz music together into what we call the Live Inspired Seven. These are seven questions that we've asked every guest to dance through together. And so you're following in some pretty mighty footsteps, but I'm convinced you are ready for these seven. So here we go. I want to give you the first question, Edie. What's the best book you've ever read? The Anatomy of the Spirit by Dr. Carolyn Miss, MYSS. Tell us about that. It integrates the three great faiths around the spirit and how to be very mindful of what you're thinking, what you're saying, and what you're doing and how it impacts your health. Mm. Think about it. The anatomy of the spirit. Medicine today is recognizing it's not necessary to pop a pill. Quite frankly, there's other methods about what is ailing us. Oh, I got a backache. Hmm. Are you worried about your finances? You know, I've got throat cancer. Hmm. What have you been failing to say that needed to be heard? So that's my answer. I will be to checking that it question. Out. Right. Well, we got six more tomorrow. Edie Varley, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with this newfound wealth? I'd probably find some legitimate homes for it, really, because my needs are more than met, and those means weren't mine. They're a gift, and now what good can those means do for other people? And that's a lot of zeros behind that one. So, yeah, I'd I'd find some legitimate homes that might make a difference in, in the lives of others. If your house caught fire, it's a house, by the way, I've been in many times. Little house on the prairie. It is lovely. It is a place to go to be inspired and moved and transformed and elevated. So I hope it never catches fire. Me too. But if your house caught fire and all living things, all living people, all living animals have already made their way out, but you have an opportunity to run into that home and grab one thing that really does matter to you, what would you grab? Nothing. There wouldn't be one thing I'd grab. There's not no heirlooms, no gifts, no pictures, no artwork. Every heirloom <clears throat> I have, I'm wearing, <laughs> and um, they're things. They've brought me joy, but if they go down in a puff of smoke, you know, I loved them while they lived. It's that simple, and that's why you got insurance. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a gorgeous beach, just beautiful— The day is lovely, and you get to sit next to anyone, living or dead. Who would you want to hang out on that bench with? I'd like to meet Jesus and see how he's seeing that view. (laughs) Probably through a pretty similar set of eyes as you, Edie Varley. What's the best advice you've ever received? I'd say from my parents, be at your best. You're expected to live up to the fullness of the promise God has for you. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Strap on. You're going to have the ride of a lifetime. (laughs) Finally, Edie Varley, it has been said that all 
great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? I am blessed. Yes, you are. And we are that you spent this time with us today. Edie Varley, any final words in closing? Two words that seem less than all the gratitude I have to know you and have worked with you when this was the butt of an idea. I say thank you. Hmm. Well, I say thank you, too. Had it not been for your feedback and incredible listening and heart and faith and energies, I'd probably still be swinging a hammer wondering what I should be doing with my life. And so I, I appreciate your coaching and wisdom and belief in a kid that did not have it yet for himself. Edie Varley, I know where to find you, but for those listening right now, where can they learn more about your work? Well, there is a website. It's thevarleygroup.com, and it's a parking lot, but Gerard Marketing is helping me maybe bring it to life. Um, That would be one way. I've got a mobile phone, 314-604-2926. I do answer it. It's not attached to my phalange. (laughs) If I'm on the phone with somebody else, I'm not taking the call, but I will call you back. That's about the size of it. Edie Varley, you are a joy. You uh, put a smile on my face every time I'm with you, and I am a better person because of you. So thank you for your time today. John O'Leary, thank you. We are blessed together. woo My friends, this was Edie Varley. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, in every interaction, we have the opportunity to either make those around us the individuals we work with, we have relationships at home with, we bump into in the community of life. We have the opportunity to either make them feel despair, uh, fear, anxiety, stress, all kinds of negative emotions. We have that opportunity. And we have the opportunity through our words, through our actions, through our smile, through our pats on the back, through the way we show up to make others feel hope and possibility and life and light and the reasons for joy in their day. This is an opportunity before each and every one of us every day of our lives. Edie Varley chooses she chooses it's a choice to make those around her feel even better once they leave her shadow once they leave her presence it's a choice she makes on the front side of the interaction it's a choice she makes as she looks in the reflection in the mirror those of you who have heard me speak live you know that i love this sentence i love you and there is nothing you can do about it Uh, There are few individuals who model this more loudly and brilliantly than my friend Edie Varley. She sure modeled it today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope it reminded you of the possibility you have to bring hope and possibility and life and light into those that you get to hang out with in life. My friends, it's a sacred opportunity. It's a sacred invitation. And I invite you today to accept, to realize that you are a profound change agent for good. Uh, And this is good news in a marketplace that is so full of bad news and despair and struggle and a race from place to place to slow down and realize the miracle of this moment. Let's celebrate that one today. 
My friends, if you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast as much as I enjoy bringing it to you, and I do love it, uh, join me and a little bit more than 400,000 others in sharing the good news with those around you, those that you work with, you do life with, you hang out with. Uh, it's an awesome way to tell the marketplace that, yeah, there is reason for for despair. There's reason to have a little bit of concern. And yet, when we work together, when we shut our eyes, when we get after it each day, we realize the limitless possibility before us each and every day. Let's embrace that truth today, uh, not only by hearing the Varley podcast loud and clear, but by sharing it with those in our community. It's a great way to bring hope into communities that are longing for it. Uh, one way to do so is to guide yourself and to those you hang out with to John O'Leary inspires.com. That's where we have all the podcasts, where we have all of our information, all of our newsletters, all of our videos, all of our books, John O'Leary inspires.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me this time. And until next time, That was Edie Varley. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired.